to the NFL. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rookie Rundown. Unfortunately, we are not doing an Oklahoma drill this week, but on the bright side, I have a guest with me again, folks. It's my buddy Craig from Craig Sports. Craig, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Perfect. That's what we like to hear. Yeah, so it is a lovely Sunday here in Kansas City. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell the people a little bit about yourself, Craig. For those of you who haven't heard him mentioned before, um, he listens to the podcast pretty regularly. He's got quite a few different things he's working on as well. And this man watches more rookie tape and college tape than anyone I know personally. So I'm excited to talk some shop on some rookies tonight with you, Craig. Yeah, so I'm working on a whole bunch of different stuff right now. I'm working through some projections for uh, fantasy football for the regular season. Then once I get done with that, I'm going to start watching some of the bigger names for the 2022 class, start grading them out. And then once the season's kind of over, look through some of the games from this year and then kind of grade them out again, see, you know, kind of who got better, who got worse, stuff like that. Most people probably don't get worse, but especially like with this quarterback class, there's a lot of guys I want to see take that next step up. So um, just being able to look at last year's tape and this year's tape and kind of compare it and see who actually did end up making those steps up is going to be a big one. And especially like not even the skill positions, but like offensive line, defensive line. Sometimes you see those guys take big steps up as well. Yeah, absolutely. You're definitely a big offensive line guy there. If there's one category of my game that I'm not as well versed as the average bear for uh, the deep scouting into college football, it's definitely the offensive line. I'm a smaller dude. I'm not that big. I never played the position, never had an inclination really to know what was going on. I just always uh, have kind of assumed that if the running back is doing poorly, it's probably due to the offensive line. Um, But yeah, so I agree with you. This quarterback class is pretty diversive. Um, it's been talked about a lot. There's a bunch of different flavors of ice cream, and everyone likes their own specific guy in this. Uh, it's no shocker to anyone listening uh, to this. I'm a big Justin Fields guy for obvious reasons. As you know, I have been on this hill, and I'm going to either die on it or gloat on it, and I don't really care which one it is as long as there's a change at the quarterback position for Chicago. But yeah, so tonight we kind of talked about it a little bit, guys and girls, but we are actually going to be going into the of our individual rankings a little bit differently. Um, I have mine specifically into tiers and he has more of a cut and dry breakdown. But uh, my three tiers for the rookie class going in is actually the elite tier. So I classify that as the potential or my projections in landing somewhere in the top 24 at their specific position for this coming up year. I have the streamable tier, which is anywhere in the top 36. So most likely between the 24 and 36, those are the guys that are dependent on situation more than anything. Um, I'm not confident enough to say that they're going to be studs in this season. And I would strongly suggest at streaming them only after you see promise early in the season or progressively as we get towards the fantasy playoffs. And then my last category, which has some big names in it is the taxi till injury tier. So those are the guys where I'm not putting anywhere near my lineups until someone in front of them gets hurt or they just absolutely blow the doors off of. So someone that would have been in a tier like this for me last year was a guy like Chase Claypool. Going into the season, I had extreme doubts for him. He was in a crowded room. We had already seen Deontay Johnson kind of start to 
step up into that role. And there was, of course, Juju. So for him, with two targets in front of him on the team, including Eric Ebron, I was completely off of him until I saw something. As soon as he bust on the scene, started to change my mind. I was still a little hesitant. And then that second game, immediately following his first touchdown game, is where he absolutely lit the world on fire. So there are some guys where it's really hard to predict people if we're in fantasy football and it's completely understandable that not everyone is going to be at a hundred percent pick rate, but these are the guys where I am the wait and see taxi guys where I'm perfectly content, not expecting any production in 2021 from any of these guys. And if I do get it, I will be pleasantly surprised. So specifically for your rankings, Craig, how are you going to be breaking it down? Did you have anything specifically you were looking at these players? Do you have any guys that are really close? What specifically was your system when you do your individual rookie rankings for an individual year like 2021? Yeah, so I think with this year it's kind of interesting too because like you mentioned the quarterback position already. We got two guys that we pretty much know are going to start right out of the gate. Then we got two other guys. They're probably going to play the majority of their team's games at quarterback, and then we got Mac Jones after that, obviously, whatever his situation is going to end up looking like. So I kind of have the two guys that are going to start right away up together and kind of Trey Lance, Justin Fields together. Uh, for running back, obviously you got Najee Harris at the top, and then kind of the – probably call it just the group of four for this year for the Travis Etienne, Devontae Williams, Michael Carter, Trey Sermon, because they all kind of have their different roles right now and, and – any one of those four probably could break out in the role, just depending on how things shake out for them as well. Uh, wide receivers, to me, it's just really that top two, Devonta Smith and Jamar Chase. Uh, Smith I like probably the most just because he has that kind of clear wide receiver one role on his team at this point in time. He's got some of that chemistry with Jalen Hurts too. Um, that kind of broke it down. Then after that, there's kind of like a next tier, then next tier, and then kind of – drop-off tier, and then even more of a drop-off tier after that even, too. Uh, tight ends, obviously we know tight ends take quite a while to develop most of the time, so we kind of got Kyle Pitts. We got some of the other guys that should see playing time, and then some kind of niche guys as well there, too, but that's kind of how I broke it down a little bit. Yeah, and, I mean, why not? We started off the show with it, so why don't we just go ahead and dive into the QB specifically. So, for me, uh, no shocker to anyone here um, pretty much anyone in the fantasy landscape. I have Trevor Lawrence in a tier by himself. He is the only quarterback that makes it into my elite tier, i.e. the top 24 at his specific position for the 2021 fantasy season. Uh, a lot of that is predicated not based off of talent, but based off of talent and opportunity. Um, you kind of touched on it a little bit. And for me, obviously a huge fields guy, I'm a big Lance guy as well. I'm actually not that high on Wilson, who got higher draft capital than both of them. But they all have situations where I have no idea how many games they are going to start this coming up season outside of Wilson and Lawrence. And I don't classify the talent of Wilson to be anywhere clearly close to what we have in Trevor Lawrence. So that's why Trevor Lawrence is the only one I project as a top 24 quarterback for this season. And everyone else falls into a category by themselves below that elite tier. What about you? Uh, I think... So I have Wilson and Lawrence pretty close. I think they're probably both going to be like, they could both top be top 20 quarterbacks pretty easily. Quarterback mm-hmm. two that you could use on your team, a good quarterback three if you're playing super flex two like this year, as early as this year. Um, Lawrence, I have like a little bit of question marks with him too, especially 
mainly with like that offensive line, is it going to hold up? We saw them have a little bit of flashes earlier last year, and then they kind of fell apart. Didn't really get much better this offseason. I know they drafted Walker Little, but he's kind of a project at this point in time, too, because he really hasn't played in almost two years. Um, I do... I do like Marvin Jones there. I think he's going to be what uh, Trevor Lawrence is kind of looking for, a wide receiver, somebody he can throw the ball up to and go get it. Uh, so I think he's really underrated, especially for redraft this year. Zach Wilson, I think, is just kind of like the safe guy. I know we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but I don't think they're going to ask him to do too much. I don't know that he's going to get quite the volume that Trevor Lawrence gets, so that's kind of where they, they get kind of close there. So I think Trevor Lawrence might have a little bit more volume, but Zach Wilson might be a little bit safer at the same time too. Um, yeah, yeah, we have a lot of the same same kind of feelings when it comes to the other quarterbacks. I believe that Fields and Lance most likely to be running with, but the situations of not knowing how many games either one is going to start, there's a strong possibility, no matter how much the fan bases, me included with Chicago, hate it, that neither one of them sees playing time until very late in the season or not at all. Um, The teams have stood pretty pat, both with Jimmy G and with Andy Dalton as their starting quarterbacks going into the season. And basically both of them are trying to do what the Chiefs did with Mahomes and sit them behind a veteran that is a game manager. Let them learn how to actually adjust to the NFL and then hopefully take it by storm with those physical traits and otherworldly things that they can do that the people in front of them are unable to. So I'm pretty excited to see those guys. So that kind of feeds into the next streamable category for me. I have Wilson at the top of this tier of the streamable. Um, I most likely see him falling in that range of somewhere in between 24 and 32 for the quarterbacks this season. Um, I am excited to see what the Jets offense overall becomes. I do think that their offensive line is arguably one of probably the top three or four in the overall league. I know you're probably a little bit better at gauging that than I am, but based off of the talent that they brought in, Becton is an absolute force. And then bringing in Morgan Moses from the Washington football team on, in my opinion, the cheapest deal of all offseason for the star-studded talent that they're actually bringing in. They improved a big weakness on the team. They brought in a lot of new playmakers, both on the wideout position and with their running backs. So it's going to be an entirely new look offense. Adam Gase is gone. They're bringing in a new gunslinger. And they've shown that they're going to put the keys to the car in Wilson's hand. They have no one to back him up. There's literally no one with starting quarterback experience on the roster in the NFL currently for the Jack, uh, not the Jacksonville Jaguars, for the New York Jets. So it's going to be an interesting situation. I see it very similarly to kind of like a Daniel Jones season. There, I don't think he's going to have the massive turnovers that we got from Daniel Jones, but you're going to see some ugly games and you're going to see some, oh, wow, I really like that games. And you're not going to be able to peg it. You're not usually going to be able to tell when they're coming. And so that's why I think he's going to end up falling in that middling QB late QB2 to QB3 range for this coming season. Lance and Fields kind of touched on it a little bit. I don't foresee them, either one of them, honestly, in my own opinion, starting more than six games this season. And unless you have some otherworldly efficiency in six games, you're not ranking in the top 24 at the quarterback position. It's just going to happen. And then in my last taxi till injury, you kind of touched on it as well. I have Mac Jones. Um, 
I think that it's Cam Newton's job. I honestly do. I think that they pretty much brought in weapons specifically for Cam Newton's game. They're going to try and ride it out and hope that he's healthy. Um, This is the injury situation. Like I said, this category, the only reason that I am projecting any upside for Mac Jones in 2021 is with the Cam Newton injury. Hmm. Well, what is it? What was I going to say? But, um, I think Trey Lance has some value if and when he does start. I think it could be like kind of Lamar Jackson's rookie year when he first came in. You know, he's just kind of running around and doing real simple offense. So I think there could be a lot of upside with that. Justin Fields, I don't know how much they're actually going to let him run. So that's kind of my concern with him. Like, obviously, you can improvise when things get kind of messy in the pocket and whatnot. But I think there's a little bit of capped upside there with him right now. But if Trey Lance gets in, I think his rushing upside alone could be very valuable for fantasy. Yeah, so I get what you're saying on fields. This is a little bit of bias, obviously, with Chicago coming in. Um, A lot of people are believing that Matt Nagy basically got some kind of behind-closed-door deal with Ryan Pace to stick on for a potential extension at least two years for this year and the next year to actually see how the Justin Fields plan actually plays out. Um, So I kind of agree with you on the fact that they are going to most likely give him the same vanilla offense they're going to attempt to run with Andy Dalton. They're probably not going to open him up until year two. So there is a little bit of concern with that. But I think that the overall Chicago offense in general is being a little bit slept on from a fantasy perspective this year. Um, Even with Andy Dalton at the helm, he's the most accurate passer that they've had on the team over the last, I mean, you can say probably like 10 years because Jay Cutler was never known for his accuracy. Um, So bringing in a guy who's predicated on accuracy, he's a long-term Um, last year he turned the ball over actually quite a bit more than he did for most of his career. And I can't tell if that was just being thrust into the offense and then just attempting to keep the wheels moving after that hot start with Dak Prescott or not. But, um, from all the reports in camp and everything like that, uh, there are, is a lot of fluff pieces out there for fields, but Andy Dalton has had great camp, great rapport with a lot of the wide receivers and specifically Cole Komet, who we've talked about a couple of times over this offseason, is my breakout candidate. Uh, he's most likely my highest breakout candidate of any player in the NFL this year is Cole Komet in the offense. I don't understand why Jimmy Graham is still on the offense on the team in general, but I don't think it's going to matter because even at the end of the season, Cole Komet was dominating the tight end targets, the tight end actual snaps, and the slot snaps on the team. So it's just an offense that I agree with you. I think Lance has more upside, so that's why I actually have Lance over fields for the 2021 season. But it is something to look forward to for those looking for production from a team you might not expect it. So we're going to transition a little bit into the running backs. So both of us, obviously, we're not insane. So we have Najee Harris at the top of every ranking here. Um, Anyone who doesn't, for you and looking for likes, comments, shares, and retweets. So don't buy into the fluff, guys. Hopefully you can all recognize it from service content. Um, shocker to no one um, probably makes a lot of people roll their eyes a little bit, though. Um, for me, my second running back for 2021 season is Michael Carter. I think he is walking into the best, most unimpeded situation out of any of the remaining running backs. 
with the talent that's in front of them. We touched on the Jets' offensive line improvements and their overall ranking a little bit earlier, and I see him getting a very heavy workload. Tevin Coleman, we were just chatting about this earlier today before we got on air, is not a threat to anyone. Um, He is a dead man walking, and I have been preaching this all offseason to anyone who will listen. I think he is there to teach the other running backs, the system. I think that's his only role to actually bring in there. They brought him on on a very cheap contract, and I think he's trying to teach that complex Shanahan running scheme to the other running backs just because he's been there for two years. What's your take? Yeah, and well, he's been in that Shanahan offense for forever, going back to Atlanta too, and then San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So I don't think Tevin Coleman's a threat at all. Anybody that watched him last year, he looked awful like, there's no reason like to even draft him if you're out there. I think Michael Carter is like obviously the best running back they do have. I'm not very big on the Michael P. Ryan either. So some people kind of like Ty Johnson. Yeah, he might be involved a little bit as a receiving back, but maybe a little bit of change of pace. But I think it's Michael Carter's job to lose. He's obviously a guy that I have a lot of shares in personally myself. Um, you know, there's a lot of people even in Dynasty looking between Michael Carter and Trey Sermon. I've been taking Michael Carter every time. I just. I don't like the situation of Trey Sermon overall. Um, He was just not a guy that translated very well to the NFL level, his game, to me. I think the best thing he probably does at the NFL level is catch the ball, but he's not going to be used in that role early on, at least with San Francisco. So we'll get kind of into Trey Sermon. And obviously they got Raheem Mostert there. He's going to get some touches until he gets hurt at least. Uh, Trey Sermon does have a little bit of injury history himself. And then they got Wayne Gallman there, too, who I think is going to be that third down back just because he's the only guy they can trust in pass protection right now. So he's graded out pretty well in the past. Last year was down a little bit for him, though, but you're not going to trust one of these rookie uh, running backs to come in and pass protect right away. Pretty much no coaching staff does that. So Wayne Gallman's going to have a role there. And they already said Sermon and and Gallman are probably going to split goal line attempts, too, at least to start the year. So I think – Sermon's upside is kind of capped, especially early on in the year, unless he really breaks out from the pack. So he's not a guy that I'm really too interested in, especially like where his ADP has been going. Yeah, and I agree with you on Sermon. And you touched on a little bit with the passing game, but people don't understand there's actually not a large target volume in the San Francisco offense to their running back position. All of those short dump off passes, um, anyone who's listened to the rookie rundown, I did a pretty long spiel about this. Most of the short screen game passes, the quick over the middles, those little hitch routes, they go to their wide receiver playmakers, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. They have the low dot. They are the shifty players that they're using in space. So Trey Sermon is brought in basically to hopefully take over that running back role and potentially show some health. But the biggest concern for me with Trey Sermon in this offense is he's been injured his entire collegiate career in the exact same vein that Raheem Mostert has been injured his entire NFL career. Um, you're dealing with a very injury prone backfield. And I don't know, like it, I don't know if it's the prolific nature of this offense and how hard they make their running backs run, but this Shanahan offense just spits out running backs. It just chews them up and spits it out. Like you have about a two year max capacity to be an effective back in this scheme before you're just dead. Like you just can't run. You can barely walk anymore. You're slow now. And it's just wild to me. So I'm with you. Sermon situation wise reminds me a lot of JK Dobbins. So like you said, with him coming in, there's a lot of mouths to feed. 
It was the same issue with Gus, uh, Gus Edwards and Ingram last year with Dobbins. Mm-hmm. You have a situation where he's going to have to show extreme efficiency in the same vein that Dobbins did, or else you're going to be extremely disappointed with the season that you get from Trey Sermon. The only reason people are so hyped up about Dobbins for this year is that he had one of the, I'm not even exaggerating guys, one of the most efficient running back seasons from a rookie running back ever in NFL history last year. His touchdown efficiency was insane. His breakaway yardage was insane. He was a monster and go OSU. I'm all here for it. I hope Trey Sermon does the same thing. It's just not likely. So I have him in that streamable category with a Travis Etienne who we'll talk about next Due to the fact of opposite roles, I think that Sermon walks in immediately with a role in the offense, but I don't think he's going to be as efficient with the touches to get him into that top 24 range that you would get from an actual lead running back on a team. Travis Etienne, in my opinion, on the other hand, is the opposite. I don't think he's going to have that lion's share guaranteed role immediately coming in that you get from a sermon, but I think he's going to be extremely more efficient with his overall touches in the Jacksonville offense as opposed to a guy like Sermon. What's your take on Etienne? Uh, he's kind of interesting this year just because we don't know how this whole situation, how this whole offense is going to shake out with Jacksonville too. So how much are they going to use him out wide? How much are they going to use him in the backfield? I think he's definitely talented enough to pay off, especially like in PPR leagues, but it might take a couple weeks before we really start to see some of it coming out too. Uh, I was even talking with somebody the other day and I was just, he's kind of like that Raheem Mostard, except he can catch the ball too. You know, he's just that quick guy. Um, we're kind of like one cut, get to the hole and everything like that too. But I think if they can get him the ball in space, he could be very uh, valuable for fantasy though. Yeah, I agree. It's just they're <laughs> – Urban Meyer, this is the problem. I mean, I'm an Ohio State guy. I was born in Youngstown, just a clip outside of Columbus. So I've been watching Ohio State offenses since I was little. Uh, I know everyone out there is just like, God, I hate Dallas. He's a Chicago Bears fan and an Ohio State fan. (laughs) He's the worst. Only thing that could be worse is a Patriots fan. No knocks (laughs) on any Pats fans out there. I'm just speaking from my own uh, experience. But uh, watching Urban Meyer offenses, you have no idea who's going to get the ball every given week. He, I don't, I'm not comparing him to Bill Belichick in the overall tenure for his collegiate versus NFL careers. I'm just saying he is a master at getting the ball to his playmakers in space. He is going to do what the defenses give him, and so that's what's concerning when you have a lot of playmakers that have the ability basically to fill in those weird roles. So you have two players basically that I see playing identical roles. You can literally put Travis Etienne in the slot where our guy, LaVisca Chenault from last year, predicated last year. They can do the exact same things. Uh, You coming in with a gung-ho idea, anyone out there saying Travis Etienne's going to take the Curtis Samuel role in the Urban Meyer offense or vice versa, LaVisca Chenault's going to take the Curtis Samuel role in an Urban Meyer offense. You're kidding yourself because I have I have no idea what's going to happen with that. You have no idea who's going to get these short, shifty targets, those gadget plays that are actually going to work these guys into space. So I'm very excited to see the offense. Um, it's probably the most volatile. I feel like we're either going to get a lot of production from a lot of players and be extremely surprised and just be lauding Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence pairing going into next season. Or we're going to be like, okay, I am extremely concerned. That did not look pretty at all. There was no good offensive players. James Robinson looked horrible again. And now here we are. So I'm just interested to see where we get with Etienne, but the person that I've left off, um, 
again, probably going to trigger some people out there, but my guy in the taxi tail injury section is Javante Williams. Um, I think that his main role going into this season is going to be pass protection. I think he's going to get down the, in the game on third down, but it's not going to be specifically because of his receiving chops. Uh, my last podcast, as you all know, was comparing Michael Carter to Javante Williams. And I talked a lot about his pass protection stats. He is the highest rated pass protecting back we've had over the last three years. He allowed, I, I think I touched on it. I think one sack overall <laughs> in his collegiate career where his guy, is who actually took down the quarterback. So it's just a very interesting aspect to see him get integrated into this crowded offense. Um, The trope of too many mouths to feed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talent will rise to the top. That's cool. Melvin Gordon's not dead. He was extremely efficient last year. It was actually his highest yards per carry season of his career last year with the Denver Broncos. And I touched on it a lot when I talked about Javante Williams. They stick with the lead back under a Pat Shermer offense. And as long as Melvin Gordon stays healthy, he is going to be that lead back. Um, Only about 30% of the overall running back touches go to the RB2 or below on a Pat Shermer offense. And unless Javante Williams beats out Melvin Gordon in camp, which I do not see happening, I think he's going to be relegated to a backup role and more of like a Mike Boone season from Minnesota than anything of fantasy relevant, unless there's an injury to Gordon. What's your take on Javante? So this is a, one of the interesting situations too. And if you kind of look at like where their ADPs have been going, it seems like Williams is like around seventh round and uh, Gordon's like eighth, ninth round typically. And just go back to like a year ago where people, you know, we had Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack. Think about where Jonathan Taylor was going, where Marlon Mack was going. So Jonathan Taylor was going like round four, round five and round 10 for about Marlon Mack. So this is a lot closer. I think we still don't know a lot about it. And honestly, I don't think these two running backs are like completely different. Obviously, Javonta Williams is a little bit bigger, a little more power running back, but they offer a lot of the same skill sets. So eventually, like he should pass up Melvin Gordon at some point in time, but is it going to happen early in the year? Is it going to happen later in the year? You know, we could be looking back to, you know, a situation where like Miles Sanders two years ago, he really came on towards like the last six games of the year, or you could probably even throw cam makers in there this year, this past year, if you want to do that, where he kind of came on the last four games of the year. So are we going to look at a situation where you're going to hold on to a guy forever like that? Or is it going to happen earlier in the year too? I think there's a chance it could happen early. Um, one of the good things that potentially could happen is if Denver really commits to run the ball a ton and then they kind of split up some of the work. Uh, but we'll just have to see how that come, works out. Maybe Melvin Gordon gets hurt. He's not the healthiest in the world, but he's not like super injury prone either. So, Yeah, and agree with everything you said. The only aspect I have an issue with is the fact that you said he was bigger than Melvin Gordon, and unfortunately he's not. He weighed in less poundage-wise, than Travis Etienne, who we all thought was going to be a small back. Uh, Javante Williams at his pro day measured in at 212 pounds, and Travis Etienne measured in at 215. So he's not that big, guys. <laughs> he, he may look thick, but it's just because he's just an average-looking running back to me. He just runs violent. I talked about it before. His running style is not great, so I think, honestly, a committee is the best thing for him. Uh, I like Personally, if he was to go to Baltimore and take over that Gus Edwards and they were to roll out Monte Williams would break. I don't 
I don't think any team would ever be able to stop that type of offense, but he would need to go to a team who's going to run the ball 400 plus times a year in order for me to feel confident in it. And that's just not the averages that we're typically getting from a Pat Shermer offense. So I'm a little bit concerned overall with his aspects in 2021 2022, different story, but again, it's a wait and see, and that's why he's in my taxi till injury overall aspect. So that's the last running back of note. As you guys can probably tell, we're just kind of sticking to our top fives right now for the 2021 season. The wide receivers, I'm going to touch on a couple more, and I think Craig is as well, but that's just due to the sheer volume. So going into the wide receiver position, um, you kind of already talked about your top two, Chase and Smith. My top two for the 2021 season are actually – Jamar Chase and Elijah Moore with the Jets. They are the two individual players that I have in my elite with potential at the top 24 at their position at the end of the season. I think that, again, is due to the fact that they are just going to get fed, basically, with their offense. I'm very optimistic with the Jets' offense, like we kind of touched about in the last two rounds, just based off of the fact that the Jets is basically an all-rookie team right now. Um, I'm not trusting the Jamison Crowder re-signing. They basically made him restructure all the way down to the veteran minimum. He could still very easily be cut at the end of the season. Um, Javon Wims plays a completely different role, but apparently it's running with twos the entire time. He isn't putting in the work, which is concerning for a year two guy. And then you have a guy like Corey Davis, who has never proven that he can basically be that alpha wide receiver for a team. So I think there's going to be a pretty even distribution of targets across the overall offense, including the running back position to our guy, Michael Carter, that we just talked about. But I think the overall volume and then just the otherworldly game-breaking ability that Elijah Moore has to actually go into the NFL and take it by storm. Um, I see him as quote-unquote, um, like this year's Justin Jefferson, Terry McLaurin over the last couple of years of if there's going to be a guy who is not going as high as the Chase, the Waddles, the Smiths, the Batemans, that is going to be that wide receiver for most likely taken in most drafts that has the potential to just light the world on fire. Um, we were saying the same thing about the target issues, the overall passing volume with the Minnesota Vikings last year going into the season, and it didn't matter. Justin Jefferson, the talent rose out. He had basically the highest rated deep target completion percentage, the highest overall QB target rating for deep passes beyond 20 yards out of any wide receiver last year as a rookie. So it's just one of those positions that I am bullish on Elijah Moore. Um, Anyone who's listened to the two podcasts that I've done with my man, Andrew Erickson from PFF knows He's in the same boat as me. Elijah Moore was our guy in the pre-draft process, and he's still there for me. So those are my only two elite guys. Who's in your elite category? Is it just that Chase and Smith category for you? Yeah, at this point in time, because I feel like those are the two safe ones. The other guys, like, you know, you're talking about Elijah Moore. I think him, Jalen Waddle, and Rondell Moore kind of in that next tier for me. Or they're guys that should get a good amount of targets, but then it's kind of like, uh, what are they able to produce on that? Uh, Jalen Waddles obviously got some more question marks being with the Dolphins. He has that two connection, but, you know, you're playing with Will Fuller. Will Fuller is a, a very underrated wide receiver at this point in time. Uh, if he stays healthy, we saw what he could do last year. And he's even playing alongside DeAndre Hopkins and Brandon Cooks his whole career. He's averaged just under like eight targets a game playing across from pretty good wide receivers. So uh, I don't think he's going to get that much volume in Miami, 
just depending on how their offense looks, if it looks kind of like it did last year, low volume passing offense uh, could be very interesting there for Waddle Fuller. Uh, I think Devonta Parker's just kind of dead or he'll be dead because he's not what Tua wants essentially, but um, it'll be real interesting to see what they do down there in Miami. Rondell Moore, I do like just because of the sheer volume in that passing offense for the Cardinals. So I actually have him having, I think, like eight to nine more targets than Elijah Moore. So I think that puts him just ahead for me. Um, then it's Elijah Moore there. I, there's a lot of factors in there with the Jets for him, too. How much do they actually throw? I was kind of conservative in their passing numbers because I think they're going to be a pretty well-balanced team. I don't think they want to throw the ball a ton. And I think their defense is going to be a lot better than people really think because it was actually not that bad last year. It's just the offense was so terrible. Yeah, my issue with the Jets' defense is solely on the defensive line. I think there's still massive gaps in the actual players that they have out there. Um, Their rush rates were not good. (laughs) They just weren't when you're comparing them to the league average. And so I agree with you, but I think they're going to attempt to make it a balanced offense, as most teams do with their rookie quarterbacks. They want to lean on the run, but the fact that no one basically wants to put Michael Carter as the lead running back, you can't really have it both ways with that type of situation for people. So it's either you're saying, okay, Michael Carter is going to be the lead back. That's what we're going to do. You're going to lean on him, and I think that it's going to be less of a passing game for the overall offense, or you think it's going to be a committee role, and they're going to pass the hell out of the ball. (laughs) So that's what I see the Jets as. We're going to get one of those two situations. I'm leaning, again, more towards the Carter being involved, but still in the committee role. But I think the passing game is really where Carter ends up sneaking into that top 24, especially all these just – Anyone curious, all of my tiers are half-point PPR because that's just my standard as it is with most people. Um, I just think he had a lot of passing upsides that you don't get. But I, I agree with you on the Rondell Moore targets. The only thing that concerns me with that a little bit is that I they just keep trying to run the ball in Arizona, but they won't commit to bringing in just a stud running back. And then when they do bring in a running back, it's like, here's 40% of the carries and that's all you're going to get. <laughs> and so it's like, it's frustrating because they're doing the exact same thing again with keeping Chase Edmonds and then bringing in James Conner. No one knows where the carries are going to be given to which player, but it's going to be annoying because you're never going to be able to peg which week one of them goes off. They're both kind of injury prone and they both have proven that they can't hold up when they actually do get the lead role for their individual teams. Um, James Conner, his red zone rushing efficiency is actually, that's something you can hold your hat on or hang your hat on. Sorry. Um, It's something that's quite a bit above the league average. He's very efficient when he gets in the red zone, specifically at basically um, getting yardage when it's not blocked for him. Uh, People know how bad Pittsburgh's offense was last year, and he was still able to produce at a decently high level enough to where he was uh, just outside the top 24. He was the 25th running back and a half PPR scoring last year, and he missed like six games. So looking at that Arizona offense, that's where I have my hesitancy on a guy like Rondell Moore. Um, And that's why I think, This is, again, guys, is all just our individual takes on the situations. We don't actually know what's going on, but this is where my gut's leading. I think his battle that he's going to have with a guy like Christian Kirk is going to be a lot more heated than people think. People just basically are thinking Christian Kirk is dead in the water, but it's not like Arizona predicated the wide receiver position in their first-round pick. Uh, They went 
hardcore. They went a different complete route uh, than most people expected them to. So they're pretty content basically with what they have right now. They had a couple of guys lower on the roster last year that did get quite a few targets. And I brought this up earlier in the offseason when I was talking about DeAndre Hopkins. If the ball is not going to DeAndre Hopkins, it's evenly spread out to every other person in that offense. And that's kind of how it's been in every single season that Nuke has been playing on a team. He gets targeted 150 times, and then everyone else is looking at about 40 to 50 targets max. They'll maybe catch an extremely high percentage of like 45 of those 50 targets for like that 90% catch rate. But it's still not something that can thrive for a fantasy season. But these couple of guys that we've been talking about now, this more Tony Waddle, they are actually in my lowest taxi till injury tier. Um, I have a couple of guys actually higher, and those are the guys that I think that the actual volume and or specific target volume in certain aspects of the field are going to predicate their actual um, fantasy value. So that top 36 potential finishes, like you said, the overall finishes for Devontae Smith, I see him as a top 36, but I don't see him as a top 24. I think the volume's going to be there, but I have extreme concerns with the Philadelphia Eagles offense this season. Um, I'm still not convinced that they know how to pass the ball effectively. (laughs) They have a bunch of targets, and I think it's just an issue with the overall passing scheme. I don't really think it's the players. Um, I mean, Jalen Rager flashed last year. Um, He still has the profile that a lot of people should like. It's just he didn't bust onto the scene like a lot of the individual wide receiver targets that we got with Justin Jefferson over the last couple of years, you know, those type of guys. So, that's a player that I'm buying on the cheap this offseason. I don't know how you feel about Jalen Rager, but you can get him for pretty much nothing. I've acquired him in two leagues already, and I think the most I've paid for him was, like, I think the 212 in one league. And I'm very comfortable taking a flyer on him as opposed to, like, a Dwayne Eskridge or someone like that at the back end of the second round. Um, but because of that, I don't see Devonta Smith blowing the doors off of anyone. So he's in that streamable, but I want to see it first type of category. Rashad Bateman, same aspect. Um, I think he could see a large volume just based off of losing Willie Sneed, who for some reason has snuck in about 80 targets a year in this Baltimore offense under Lamar Jackson. Um, but I, I mean, if it would be the most Sammy Watkins thing possible for Sammy Watkins to be effective with one of the least effective quarterbacks in the league and just, you know, blow the doors off of the league in Baltimore and steal like 120 targets for a top 24 finish. But if someone's going to do it, I'm going to lean towards Bateman. Um, He was my wide receiver too, as everyone knows in the class, he's still my wide receiver too. Um, I think it's extremely similar to the AJ Brown situation with him where it's just, situation we're trying to kill him um the talent's gonna rise up and then the last guy in my streamable tier is Terrace Marshall in Carolina and I think that's predicated specifically um we talked a little bit before we started recording on the overall tight end target share when it comes to the Carolina offense um usually when you're in the red zone you're looking for those big body guys um They didn't practice, according to Teddy Bridgewater, a lot of red zone drills last year. I think that's probably going to change this year because they were the worst rated team in the red zone efficiency in the NFL last year. And so a guy like Terrace Marshall coming back with his college offensive coordinator in Joe Brady, coming into an offense with a vast need for a red zone target outside of a guy like Christian McCaffrey, someone who can actually go up and get the ball as opposed to being shifty three yards out, is why Marshall is my bet if I had to pick the Chase Claypool lead all rookies and touchdowns type of situation, I am leaning towards Terrace Marshall basically due to that alpha mentality. 
his usage in the red zone and the overall team need for a guy with his profile. So you want to wrap up wide receivers? Tell me any notes on any of the guys I talked about you didn't? Yeah, so I think a Marshall one's kind of interesting. I think he might could end up being kind of like a touchdown or bust guy, though, too. So he might be a guy that may be better, a little bit better in like DFS or something like that. Because um, I think Robbie Anderson's targets are pretty safe. I think DJ Moore's targets are pretty safe. And then the reason, be, you know, kind of the reason that Curtis Samuel broke out as much as he did last year is because Christian McCaffrey wasn't there. I know Mike Davis still got a boatload of targets, but those targets are all going to go back to McCaffrey. He's going to get his targets. Like, those are safe. I think the other two wide receivers are pretty safe. So I think that kind of fourth option on the team, just unless he's getting all the fourth option targets, I don't see that much potential there this year. I think he's fine once Robbie Anderson's gone. Hopefully, I wasn't, I was kind of like, in the middle on Marshall because I, there's people that are really high on him, people that are really low on him. I think the situation mattered a lot for him. Obviously, he landed in a great situation this year with his former offensive coordinator in college and a good wide receivers coach in Frisman Jackson. But the problem is Joe Brady's probably going to be a head coach next year somewhere else. Frisman Jackson was also uh, interviewed for the offensive coordinator job for the Atlanta Falcons. So maybe he gets an offensive coordinator job. If you don't have that good coaching around him, it would be very easy for Marshall to kind of fall off because he's kind of one of those guys that kind of needs, you know, like the right mentorship, kind of kick in the butt just to guide him along the process to get to where he needs to be with his talent because he just kind of feels like a guy that's coasted on talent for so long. Uh, you see it on film, he gets lazy at times. But I think that's kind of a big one for him. A couple other guys that I have, like the next tier lower, uh, like Monroe St. Brown, if he gets target share with the Lions, he could be involved. But the camp reports really haven't said too much about him. He's not getting a lot of hype or anything like that. So a lot of people were pretty high on him going into rookie drafts, but the hype because it quite hasn't been there yet. We'll see what it looks like in the preseason, the start of the year. Maybe there'll be something there. Uh, Nico DeCounds is kind of the one that's everybody's darling now, it seems like on Twitter at least. Uh, Houston Texans, there's definitely an opportunity there. I'm a Texans fan. Most people kind of know that already. Amari Rodgers is one that could kind of sneak up there if Aaron Rodgers comes back and plays for the Packers. And if he gets involved in this offense, he could have a decent season, could be usable at times. And then Marshall was kind of in that tier with them too, as well as Rashad Bateman. Bateman, I just don't think there's enough volume in the Ravens. Like you kind of mentioned 120 targets. Like last year, I think their top target guy was uh, Marquise Brown at like 102. And mm-hmm. it's really hard for them just the way it is to get to 100 targets in 16 games. So maybe you get somebody that gets 110 in 17 games. I just don't see it right there right now with Bateman. I think he helps their offense more on the NFL field than a fantasy aspect. So it kind of helps. He's going to be kind of that middle. So you don't have, you got the short range, the long range. So obviously Marquise Brown's going to be like, your deep threat. Uh, Mark Andrews might work kind of the underneath and stuff. And then maybe Bateman's going to be that middle ground, but let's see how that all works out with him. Sammy Watkins, who's all on the field right away, at least on that season two. I know I'm Sammy's going to kill me because I always have him, but I can't do that. Yeah, no more. He's been rolling on my longest uh, tenured dynasty roster since 2012 so <laughs> yeah trust me uh, i get the sammy love uh the I one think, player that go ahead i think there's some other guys down below too if 
things break the right way, they could kind of break out too, like a Josh Palmer if Mike Williams gets hurt. Uh, definitely think he has a chance there. Who knows, maybe Tutu Atwell gets way more involved in this Rams offense than we think. I'm not a big Tutu Atwell guy. Uh, Anthony Schwartz, I have no idea what the heck they drafted him and what they're going to use him for because Donovan Peoples-Jones pretty much had the same role last year, and he was really effective in the small sample size that he had it. Um, he was like the, I think he was like the seventh highest rated uh, rookie wide receiver last year. Although, albeit in a very small sample size, it's like a sixty second highlight reel if you put all of his uh, highlight catches together. But he was extremely efficient when targeted. Yeah, and there's there's some other guy like this Mike Scranton for the Colts. He's getting a lot of hype in camp. The big guy out of Charleston, but you know he's coming from a Division two school. And then there's like some other guys, they're probably better for your long-term dynasty, like a Diami Brown, uh, Jalen Darden, some of these other guys like that. Dad, <laughs> yeah, I do love me some Daz Newsome, but that broken collarbone. Yeah, he, he just screams pup to me. <laughs> like this is just going to be an exceptionally long collarbone injury is what I see happening with Daz Newsome. So... Well, it'll be interesting to see if they put him on the pup or if they put – well, it make more sense to put him on the pup because it's six weeks, and I think they can hold him out on the pup for a couple more weeks after that. So it doesn't really make sense to put him on IR designated return because you can only have, like, so many of those guys in a year anyways. Yeah, no, the one player that has been, like, the, the news real ghost to me, you touched on a little bit, was Amari Rogers. I have been actively searching – for any news on Amari Rogers with the Packers offense. And I have seen nothing, nothing on social media, nothing from the team, nothing from beat reporters. No one is talking about Amari Rogers. And I'm like, he's he's just going to be that guy who just comes out of nowhere and just like scores six touchdowns, puts up 900 yards and he's relevant in your flex spot all year. And I'm going to be infuriated because I can't find anything. And I'm actively searching at it because I was pretty high. He's Memphis's guy. Um, before the draft, he was pretty high in Memphis's list, and he's just a rocked-up dude that can fill that slot role really well. So I'm kind of excited to see how that plays out. But let's quickly transition into the tight end role. Um, we're not going to talk about the elite tier unless you have anyone for some reason. Who was gone? They literally have to. That's the reason he's going to be relevant, guys. They have no other option. And if he doesn't finish as a top 24 tight end, people's dynasty rosters are going to look a lot worse than they do now because people are giving up insane capital to get the pick or the actual player that is Kyle Pitts. So it's just something that's a little bit concerning. I don't have anyone else up in that tier to you. No, not at this point. Like it just depends. Like, I guess if you're putting it as top 24, there's guys that could finish in top 24, but for when you're talking about like guys that are going to finish as a tight end one, at least I put it at this point. Uh, but Kyle Pitts is definitely up there. Some of the hype with him is just kind of getting out of control at this point too. I would not be surprised though if the Falcons bring in like a veteran uh, run, running back at point after people get cut and a veteran wide receiver because they just really don't have that much out there in terms of depth. Um, obviously, Dude, you got Calvin Ridley. 
Todd Gurley is still sitting out there just waiting to ruin a fantasy roster. I'm just like, I'm waiting for it. <laughs> like He's just going to get unneeded use in some kind of offense. And Atlanta makes sense. He could go back super cheap, just be that guy to fill a role that they need to now that they don't need him to run every single down. And then everyone who's spending that mid-round pick on Mike Davis is just going to be like, well, fuck. <laughs> so uh, I'm right there with you. For my next streamable tier of – go ahead. I think it's going to end. End up being Jordan Howard is who it's going to end up being because the Eagles, unless the Eagles really want to keep him, but they already got 10 million running backs. Yeah. I mean, that's something that could make sense. Um, I mean, there's just a bunch of Jags out there right now. Uh, they they just seem like a team that's more likely to trade for a running back or do something stupid like that than actually just like pick up a quality just guy that can run in between the tackles to me um i though i was just screaming for gus edwards to end up in atlanta uh just literally just get there with arthur smith and just take over the world but that's not gonna happen so it's all right but uh going to the next actual tight end tiers for me i only have one streamable tight end this is actually gonna surprise most likely a lot of people maybe even you uh being a houston texans fan but i actually have brevin jordan as a potential streamer for this season. Um, he came in and your team lost Darren Fells. Uh, it has been tight end roulette for the Houston Texans, and you can touch on this better than I can. But if there's a guy with all the talent in the world that is in an offense screaming for pass catching options now with a potential horrific downgrade in quarterback, it's the Houston Texans. So if I'm going on pure upside for 2021 and a guy, if I'm in a actual win now situation, as opposed to some of the other tight ends and I need a tight end, I'm going to take a flyer late on Brevin Jordan based off of both the draft capital that you have to spend in rookie drafts, as well as just the trade value. You can get him for just an absolute throw in piece right now. And he has the potential to actually store in the offense, even with Jordan Aiken still on the roster. Yeah. So at this point, Brevin Jordan's is just as good as Jordan Aiken's, if nothing else. Jordan Aiken's is terrible. Like their best <laughs> tight end right now is Farrell Brown, who they kind of use as a fullback slash tight end. And he was undrafted, I think, out of Oregon a couple years back. But uh, he's all right. They brought in Larry Izzo over from the Patriots, too. He's a blocking tight end, is all. Uh, they still got, what's his name, Khalil Warren out of, what was it, San Diego State. He's terrible. He's always hurt. Can't catch the ball, can't block. So there's definitely a path there for Brevin Jordan. Um, whether or not it comes to fruition right away kind of remains to be seen. We'll just have to see how that plays out with camp and the preseason and everything. I think he's definitely got a chance if he gets the opportunity. But he's another guy that's not the best blocker in the world either. So if he kind of gets into – maybe used in the slot a little bit or something. There's definitely opportunity there for him. Um, there's a lot of guys like that, though, in this tight end class. A lot of people don't really like this tight end class, but I think there's a lot of niche guys that could really break out a couple years down the line at least. Uh, yeah. Fryer Muth kind of up. Like, the next tier is just kind of ugly because Fryer Muth, if he makes a role somehow, I don't really see it happening this year with Eric Ebron still on the team. I think they're just going to use him more in line than Ebron kind of more out in the slot like they used him last year towards the end of the year, which worked out pretty well for them. Um, Hunter Long somebody I do like, but he's kind of that same thing with Pat Fryermuth. He's probably going to be used in line. Gusecki's better out in the slot anyways. And then Kylan Granson's the one that I do like with the Colts. Uh, so he's kind of going to be coming in, taking over that Trey Burton role. If he somehow becomes the slot wide receiver, he has some value. Whether yeah. or not that happens, who knows? 
that is slander on the human planet that is Moali Cox, sir. So <laughs> I know Memphis is not a big Cox fan. He's more of a Granson kind of guy. But uh, yeah, I agree. A lot of the tight ends in this class, I see most of the teams out there drafting as the replacements for 2022 for their tight ends on the roster, as opposed to paying them the big money. Uh, Mike Gusecki is not a good blocker as well. Hunter Long is a good blocker and he can pass catch. So if they can't get Gusecki on a cheap deal next year in Miami, he's gone. Same thing. Ebron, very good as a tight end red zone target, but horrible blocker. Pat Fryermuth, good blocker and can catch above average. If the Ebron even remotely complains about getting anything above like two to $3 million next year, he's gone. Fryermuth is still there. So I think there's going to be a very large youth movement for a lot of the tight ends that we saw drafted about five, six years ago. in that you know people like to say probably that 9 to 20 range because they trade in and out on a yearly basis as it is but there's a lot of young guys in this class and specifically last class with Cole Komet and Troutman that are coming in taking jobs and going to be relevant in that range kicking those older guys out so pretty much all the tight ends are a wash for me Um, the only reason I am optimistic on Jordan is exclusively based off of the same reason why people are high on Nico Collins there is just a need for receiving options on this team Brandon Cooks cannot do it all Randall Cobb is a dead man walking and Kiki Kuti has been a flop since year one so it's just one of those situations where I just think there's a lot of target volume to go on. That's the only reason Jordan is even remotely above this tier of the taxi till injury guys that I just mentioned. I'll say one thing though, too, is uh, Tyrod Taylor in Buffalo. I believe it was Charles Clay. He made him halfway relevant at tight end too. So, Yeah, I, I'm off the Tyrod train. I, I, I'm tired of it. Like he's never going to start when he does start. He's like kind of okay, but it's never exciting. And I legitimately think the team's better off just throwing Davis mills to the wolves and allowing, (laughs) allowing the team to just burn to the ground fully (laughs) next year. (laughs) Like they just need to like, okay. As a Houston Texans fan, your opinion, would you prefer them to use Tyrod, win six games, and get the 10th overall pick? Or would you prefer them to use Davis Mills, burn it to the ground, get the first overall pick, trade Deshaun Watson for three overall first picks, and then roll into the next year with four first-round picks, including the 101 overall, where you can pick Hal, Rattler, whoever the hell you want to pick? <laughs> uh, I don't know. So- the difference ain't even that big because if Tyrod's the starter, they probably won three games. If Davis Mills is the starter, they won't win any games because that was a wasted draft pick completely because Davis Mills should have been a day three guy, only had 11 career starts in college. He makes a lot of mental mistakes. The only real thing he has to his name is he was the number one quarterback recruit coming out of high school ahead of Tua. That's literally it, and he's always been hurt. He has 11, Like I said, he has 11 career starts in college. And you're just going to replace him next year. <laughs> like, why would you even take him in the third round? But I've seen, like, a lot of people talking the Tyrod Taylor narrative and be like, oh, well, he gets benched and then the rookie comes in and is awesome. Yeah, that ba- Baker Mayfield and Justin Herbert were awesome because they were top six picks. They're supposed to be good. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember Nathan Peterman? 
He came in and got benched after a half. That's how good he was. Davis Mills is a lot closer to him than Baker Mayfield and Justin Herbert. Yeah. I uh, I will always remember that Nathan Peterman game, and I will be telling my children about that Nathan Peterman game, the illustrious interception palooza. Um, but, yeah, this has been a good little chat we've had here, Craig. We've gotten a pretty good breakdown of the overall class. Um, I think our most divisive position is definitely wide receiver, and that's not shocking. They're usually the hardest to peg when it comes to first-year contributors on the team. A lot of times the guys you expect to be good are not, i.e. last year with Rager. Um, a lot of times the guys you don't expect for extreme roles on their teams, a la Tally, uh, Terry McLaurin, are what we end up seeing with guys. Um, so that one's more of a crapshoot. I'm very excited. Uh, also, I was just realizing this. I've never brought this up, but uh, I'm going to seem like a poser to all of our uh, listeners here. But for as much as I talk about Michael Carter, I unfortunately do not have a single share of Michael Carter mm-hmm. on any of my dynasty rosters right now. And it kills me inside. Um, I have two rookie drafts remaining for this year. Um, They're both late. Both of them are going to be in August. But I can promise you people, I will leave one of them with a Michael Carter share (laughs) if it kills me. Um, But a lot of the issue is I'm typically sitting at that 110, 111, 112 pick. He never makes it back to my second round pick. And I'm going to take Elijah Moore or Rashad Bateman over Michael Carter every single time just based off of positional value. So it's frustrating. I hate it. I'm not a poser. Tune back in next time when we talk about it, guys. But you have any last takes on any of the players, any uh, rookie call-out shots for anyone anyone may not know or anything you want to plug from the show here, Craig? I'll, I'll ask you about one guy real quick, and it's the yeah. Twitter, dar- it's a Twitter darling, Jacob Harris. Uh, just your thoughts on him because I, yeah, I got a uh, lot of thoughts. Yeah, no. So for me, the Rams offense, it was crowded last year and it is even more crowded this year. Um, They brought in Deshaun Jackson. They drafted Tutu Atwell and you bring in a guy where I see Jacob Harris attempting to fill the Gerald Everett role in a less effective manner. Um, Gerald Everett is was a better prospect um, and is a better NFL player than I see Jacob Harris becoming. Um, the target volume was never there for a guy like Gerald Everett, and the passing volume is not going to increase drastically that much. Um, the passing game coordinator and offensive coordinator are gone now from the Rams. They bring in Matthew Stafford, who has survived on a pretty high target volume, but that's also predicated usually just based off of the garbage team that is actually surrounding him. Um, he now has the running back situation with Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers behind him, a decent offensive line, albeit an old offensive line, and then the most well-rounded group of wide receivers he's had pretty much his entire career outside of, the, I think, that one overlap year, I believe, where it was Oh. It's just one of those things where I don't see him doing anything for the Rams and anyone who's like, yeah, you should take a late round flyer on him. It's cool. You can do it. It's a late round pick. I'm not going to flame you for it, but I would rather take a flyer on a guy that's going to make a team because I think he has a strong capability of being cut. Yeah, so my opinion is you're trying to make this guy a tight end. He's 211 pounds. He's the fourth, fifth wide receiver at Central Florida. <laughs> like he had a crazy pro day. That's the only reason he got drafted. And he took a massive reach where they drafted him at two in the fourth round. I just don't see it there with him. 
it's a long shot. Like if you want to take that fourth round pick, you pick him up on waivers in your dynasty league. That's fine. But there's people that act like he's going to do something this year. I'm like, you're insane. Like Bryson Hopkins is going to be the second wide. He's going to be the second tight end. He actually played tight end in college, and he was at all Big Ten tight end. So he can actually play the position, knows how to do it. And then they got Johnny Munt, who's just a fullback blocking tight end too. That's really good at that. So I don't see. I wouldn't be surprised if he's inactive. Like you said, cut. I don't think they'll cut him, but I think he's just going to be inactive for a long time. Yeah, it's just one of those. He's just a guy. There's no reason to be drafting him. There's people that it's always the testing guys. Like uh, no one's talking about Ichiro Bebe from Denver. That just that absolute freak of an athlete who got picked up as an unrestricted free agent for Denver, and it's because of all the mouse defeat in the offense in front of him. And so it's just Jacob Harris, cool. Let the other guys draft him. Uh, don't pick him up. Don't trade for him. If you get him in a trade and you're really desperate in like a start two tight end league, then yeah, maybe do it just because of a positional need. But I'm telling you right now, he's not going to get the target share. He's not going to get snaps. And I legitimately don't think he's on the team. So that's just my personal take. <laughs> yeah. But I, those people, I just asked them like, if you're that, in, are you just that into him because of his testing numbers? I'm like, are you into Kenny Nuangu then for the Vikings then too? Since he had crazy testing numbers, that was yeah, a terrible pick too. He's their, he's their, he's their starting uh, punt returner, man. You don't draft your punt returner in the fourth round. <laughs> That's what I do every time. Oh, third round. Sorry, not fourth round. Third round. <laughs> I was even wrong. So yeah, but there, there's a couple guys out there. There's always some uh, fantasy Twitter darling guys that uh, are always funny, where people are like, "Oh, uh, ride the pine, ride the dragon. It's going to happen this year," and uh, he just feels like another one. But Greg. Uh, it's a little bit longer than we talked about, but this always seems to happen. I mean, you get together, it's always a fun conversation. Uh, like everyone who's listening knows, we went over the entire rookie class. It was a good talk. Um, these are our general tier rankings. If you have comments, concerns, you want to chat about it, you can chat with either one of us on Twitter. You can find me at Sally Ballor. Craig, you want to plug your Twitter name just so everyone knows where to find you? Yeah, so I'm at Coach Craig Sport. Best um, hit on the end of it because there's 15 uh, – uh, letter character limits. So I'm also on YouTube at Coach Craig Sports as well, um, providing content over at the True North Fantasy Football Team. Got some articles that are going to be coming out there. We've got a how to series for people that are kind of new into fantasy football that's coming out too as soon as the new website's up. And then we're going to have a um, redraft. It's like a must have and like must avoid for like one player with a collaborative article that's coming out as well. Then trying to think what else is it coming up to i've got some other article i'm writing too but i don't remember what it is right now <laughs> just a lot of different stuff going on but uh like i said doing some projections uh that i'm working on right now then looking at the 2022 class uh, kind of in depth is uh my next goal after that and then i've been doing some videos on my series deeper dive and dynasty where i just kind of go through an interview with somebody if we did like a recent startup mock kind of walk through that talk about their overall strategies to dynasty some basic advice they have for people that are kind of newer to dynasty and stuff like that too i'm trying to get a couple of different guests on for that i got a couple of people scheduled as well yeah so as i said he's a busy man a lot of content and like i said guys he watches more uh rookie film and more uh prospect film than pretty much anyone i know so this has been coach craig with me on today's rookie rundown as always if you're not in the patreon you gotta join the patreon uh the chat's wild i'm starting up a 
16 team all roster IDP league for our Patreon league coming up. It's going to be 11 starters offense, 11 starters defense, winner take all, no bars hold, super flex, tight end premium. It's a heavy hitter. Um, if you want to be in leagues like that with a lot of people that will stick around, Patreon's on it. As always, like, subscribe, share. Love the content. Love talking to you, Craig. Excited to do this again. This has been Dallas and Craig with the Rookie Rundown this week, and we will catch you next week, boys and girls. Thanks. When we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing. We won a game yesterday. We win one today, that's two in a row. We win one tomorrow, that's called a winning streak.